ask you, if you will, to take your Bible and hold your place in Acts chapter 5. You'll hold your place there at Acts um, chapter 5. All right. Well, I wanted to take just a minute or two at the beginning of this to to share a little bit with you, um, unscripted, uh, unstudied, if you will, just speaking from my heart as a, as a pastor uh, to, to you this, this morning. And I am certainly grateful that the Lord has given opportunity for me to spend this 10 years with, uh, with you and helping to walk through God's Word and to help to pastor, uh, help to pastor with you. It is many times a rarity for a church to have pastors that, that last a decade. And we have two, myself and Jason included. And that is not to say that we have done anything in and of ourselves. It is the faithfulness of God. It is God's faithfulness. And so I just I want to say that it's the Lord's faithfulness and, and seeking to be obedient to Him. I think on the national scale, pastors, they normally last in a church on an average about three years, two to three years, and then they're on to whatever ministry or other church they would want to go to. So I thank you for allowing me, and by God's grace, to, to minister in this, these 10 years. I'm grateful for that. There's a couple things I want to share with you, though, that is from my heart that would consider to be a, um, a challenge for me. Uh, one of the challenges for me is seeing folks who drift, if you will, who um, don't know where they want to be at in terms of, of the, the life of the church. And I'll talk about some of that today and those that are on the outskirts looking in. I would say probably 99.5%, if not higher, of what we consider church growth today is not organic. What I mean by that is most of our church growth today comes from folks coming from other churches and getting plugged into other churches. 99.9%, if, if I was really accurate, of churches in Martin County, church growth, if you call it that, comes from church plants coming in and not from folks hearing the word of the Lord, being saved, transformed, and serving in that church where, where they heard the gospel and, and serving in, in that church. And that has become a struggle for me over these last uh, few, few years. It's not, a, it's, it's not an accusation against Piney Grove. It's not an accusation against this local body, but in, in Christendom as a whole. And there is a lack of discipleship that we see as the root cause of this. This is people who might profess Jesus and who even walk an aisle and then they get saved and we let them just float. We hand them the Gospel of John and say, read this and expect them to grow in Jesus when they have no real uh, discipleship mechanisms to do that. And so that has become a real 
uh, thorn, if you will. The second thing that I struggle with probably most uh, is in, in the pastorate is uh, not only people you know, getting to know God's Word and, and having a hunger for the Word, because we're all not there. We're all, we're all not at the same level as it is. There's always somebody that is a step ahead of you. But the second thing is, is seeing so many people that I get to know and build relationships with, the Lord calls them home. One of the greatest struggles as a pastor is seeing people who I grow to love and, and build relationships with. They pass on, and Piney Grove has had quite a few of those in my 10-year time. People that I got to know and love and build a relationship with, and then they, I, can, I can think of many right now. In the past month or so, we've had at least four. But the sermon today will be pointed toward that ultimate healing. That as a pastor, I know that the Bible tells me that we do not mourn as people who absolutely have no hope. But our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in one day, I've got loved ones who've gone on to be with the Lord, who right now, based upon their profession of faith and their love for Jesus, they are worshiping Jesus right now. And I'm glad for that. And many of you here today have lost loved ones who are in the presence of Jesus, worshiping Christ right now. And the greatest treasure one day is this grand reuniting with our Savior, that we will worship at the feet of Christ. And I might see my father there, my grandfather, and, and folks who've gone on to be with the Lord. And I will know them as a brother in Jesus, my grandmother, as a sister in Jesus, and we'll worship forever. That's our hope. Our hope is Jesus is in Christ alone. And I think I would be fairly stupid if I did not mention uh, Tracy <laughs> this morning, that she is, uh, has helped me through this, sometimes telling me just a very blunt truth of the matter with things and, um, and pushing me for these last probably over 20 years. So I'm grateful for her for, for supporting me, even when things she did, we didn't see eye to eye on on ministry things. So I always know if I go home and I say, how was that sermon today? Well, that was a bit boring today. <laughs> I always know that I'll get an honest, an honest critique. And so I couldn't have gone this far without her and my family who are here today. Thankful for, thankful for them. My mother and mother-in-law was certainly grateful for for, for them, I would not, I think by God's grace, I wouldn't be here without, without them. Ministry might look different today without them. But I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus a little more. I want to talk about this grand healing that we will one day receive. Those who are sick, everyone in here has probably had somebody pass on or who are suffering with illness. I want to talk to you today about a grand Healing, the healing of the body and the healing of the spirit. If you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. I hope you have your Bible turned there. We're going to look in God's Word from chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And the sermon is entitled, When the Sick Are Healed. 
when the sick are healed. I'll ask you if you will, as we stand for the reading of God's Word, if you'll do that with me also in this moment as we read God's Word together. In verse 12 says, and this is the Word of the Lord. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done amongst the peoples by the hand of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico, or Solomon's porch. And none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick in the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And Peter came by, and his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Lord, we ask you that you would add your blessing to the reading. We certainly give you the praise and honor today for your goodness. God, it is you who changes us. It is you who gives us the zeal and the drive, Father, to carry out your purpose. Father, it is you who gives us the strength, the wisdom, the peace, the comfort. It is you who calls us into salvation. It is you that calls us, calls us into right relation with you. I pray that you would do that good work this morning as we dive into your word. Speak to us as only you can do. Use me as your vessel, Lord, as your steward over God's word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And you know there is coming a day when the Lord will bring a close to this age. In theological terms, it is what some call the eschaton. It is the coming of the Lord. It is the Lord's return to this earth to take the wrongs that are in this world and make them right and to set this foundation on a right path to glorifying Jesus forever and ever in the book of Revelation. It talks of our Lord Jesus ruling the nations with a rod of iron. It also speaks at the coming, at the end of this age, a beautiful picture that is painted in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4 and 5. And it says that Jesus, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I don't know about you. I want to live as long as the Lord will allow me to live on this earth. I want to live as long as the Lord will allow me to serve Him. And my goal, as Jason mentioned earlier, as Pastor Jason mentioned, is to preach through God's Word. And hopefully the Lord will give me enough time to be able to do that in my, in my life. But I also long for the day when the Lord will call His saints home. And this world that we live in that seems to be drawing closer and closer to ultra-depravity, I cannot help but yearn to see Jesus call His people home. Where there will be no joy, there will be no sorrow, there will be no more tears, there will be no more mourning, there will be no more suffering. 
There'd be no more ambulances going down the street, no police cars going down the street, nor no doctors or hospitals or any of those things. We're grateful for them, but there'll come a time when all those formal things will have passed away. If you read the biblical narrative in the Gospels of that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the letters and the epistles, you'll find something that stands out when Jesus healed. When Jesus healed, either by His hand or through the apostles' hands, it authenticated a work of the Lord and it pointed to this consummation of all things. When Jesus healed the blind man, when Jesus healed the lame man, when Jesus healed, when Jesus rose Lazarus, when Jesus healed, it was a pointing to Revelation 21, 4 and 5, that He is making all things new. It is a pointing to the end of the age, the consummation of all things. When the apostles healed, if, if, if you will, as Jesus healed through their hands, it is a pointing to the end of the age of making new by our Lord Jesus. See, last week we saw this episode with Ananias and Sapphira and how the Lord demonstrated His power and His sovereignty. That He is the rightful judge. See, the Lord had struck them down because of their dishonesty at the most crucial period in the, early, in the church what some consider the most pristine time in the early church. The Lord was adding to the church. People were growing. People were coming to know the Lord. And now Ananias and Sapphira stick out like a sore thumb. They sow discord and the Lord says, uh-uh. He is establishing His church. And these two are trying to disrupt that work. Now I do not need to go in detail as to what that disruption might be for our modern day context, but there is application there saying when there is an attempt to disrupt a work from the Lord with faulty motives, the Lord will judge in some way. He was establishing His church and here's Ananias and Sapphira. They tried to disrupt this work and as a result of God's judgment that is noted in verse 11... A great fear came upon the church and all who heard these things. And Ananias and Sapphira tried to lie to the Holy Spirit, tried to lie, tried to test the credentials of the apostles. And the apostle looked at, at, at Ananias and Sapphira and they both dropped dead in their place. In fact, they dropped, they died before they even hit the floor. And a great fear came upon the whole church. It was almost like saying, do I have your attention now? The most critical time in the early church. The Bible continues in verse 12. It says, signs and wonders were done regularly among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were together at Solomon's porch. Something brought them back to this place where the lame man was healed. Sometimes we gloss over this healing of this lame man. But God healing this lame man started a chain reaction. 
They ended up finding themselves back at where the Lord had performed this miracle through the apostles. They have been performing, if you see it there in the text, signs and wonders. And this time, Luke the Evangelist, who wrote the book of Acts, Luke the Evangelist makes sure that you and I, as the reader, understands that this is through the hands of the apostles. Okay, so celebrating 10 years here. Jason, what are you, about 15 years? And you understand that the Lord has used he and I as stewards here. We haven't done the work. God's done the work. Think about that in the sense of these apostles. That is, through the hands, through the vessels, the Lord has used the apostles and has given them signs and wonders. Not that a pastor has signs and wonders because those things have ended. The apostles are mere stewards over the miracles. The miracles belong to the Lord. It is God who does it. It is through the hands of the apostles, filtered through the vessels. He uses them as a way to help people understand that what you hear preached about Jesus through the mouths of my vessels is absolutely true. He preached Jesus as the Messiah that you have been looking for. He's crucified. He's risen again. Here are some signs and wonders and, 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 and miracles. And listen to what they have to say. Listen to what they have to say. And just so we're clear, though, I've mentioned this before, there are no longer any apostles alive today. Now, you might be driving through town, or you might be driving through the countryside, and you might be driving somewhere, and you might see a sign on the building that says, Apostle so-and-so. Well, unless Peter, James, and John rose from the dead, there is no apostle in that church. The apostles are long gone. They died when the apostle John died in his 90s after returning from the island of Patmos and he died near Ephesus. Some think that he was bringing the letter to the churches and died somewhere in Ephesus. And so there are no apostles anymore. Disciples, you and I. Now the passage states that the miracles were done through the hands of the apostles and they were regularly done. They are back near Solomon's porch where the lame man was healed. The church was together in this place of commonality. We would say that this is true fellowship. And the uh, Greek term for that is koinonia. You may have heard that term before. Fellowship, true fellowship. The commonality is, is Jesus. And they are in this place, in fellowship, this one accordness. I don't know if, you, I don't know if that's a term or not, but it is now. Accordness. They were in one accord together. There's probably a multiplicity of different ways that you can say in one accord. But they were in one accord and they were back at this place where the Lord first showed His hand in terms of healing. The Bible says that there were some standing on the outside. Now, there could be revival that broke out in Piney Grove. And you know how often people pray for revival at this church? People pray for, for revival all the time. That the Lord would spark a revival. Lord, use me 
Use me in the revival. There's always people, revival, healing, the Lord's doing a great work. There are always those folks who are standing on the outskirts looking in. The Bible tells us in verse 13 that that is, that is exactly the case here. That none of, none of the rest dared to join them, but they held them in, hell in, in high esteem. Okay, they thought favorably about them. There were on the outskirts looking on those who were no doubt unbelievers, maybe curious about what was happening, but they refused to unite themselves with the church. They refused to unite themselves when God was moving and working. And they are like the people who were looking on at Pentecost and said, hey, they're all drunk. They're all drinking. They're all drunk. They're, the ones stand, they're like the ones standing around looking on the outskirts. What I want you to hear at the very onset of this is I am not setting up an us versus them scenario. I'm not setting up a scenario where we are the saints and they are not. I'm not setting up an us versus them. Had it not be for the grace of God, we would all be lost. Amen? So I'm not saying that. But there is an identifiable population of people on the outskirts looking on who are no doubt like Ananias and Sapphira who wanted to test the waters, who wanted to just see if the apostles were true, if they really were moved by God. And maybe it was their greed too and their sin and their corruption and wickedness and blackened heart and and certainly uh, Ananias and Sapphira did not live up to to their namesake, if you will. But let's put this in the modern-day vernacular. How would we understand this in the local church, in the modern sense, so to speak? We would say, but there are those on the outside today who will do anything for the church. Anything for the church. I mean, they'll cook for the church. They'll, you know, they, they will help in any way. They'll even build a ramp for the church. Hey, they'll, they'll, they'll cook food. They'll take deliveries. They'll do whatever the church needs them to do. They'll do anything for the church, but they will not have anything to do with their own spiritual formation or submission to Christ. How many know some people like that? They'll do anything for the church, but never have proclaimed Jesus. Never will submit to His Lordship in their life. And I often think about it like this. I mean, people will do anything for you. But brick by brick, they began to build up this wall. Brick by brick, they began to build this wall up in their lives. And nobody ever approaches in on this wall. And they build up a little wall that keeps out any sentimental value, keeps out anything of spirituality. You start talking about Jesus, you start talking about the Bible, you start talking about serving the Lord Jesus, you start talking about your sins and repentance, and the wall gets thicker and thicker and thicker. So what is the challenge for you and I as Christ followers? What is the message that we send to those looking on who are building up this wall continually, who'll do anything for the church, but will not submit to Jesus. Well, first let me tell you this, no matter how hard you preach or teach, you will never break down that wall on your own. This is a job of the Holy Spirit of God. 
You'll never break that wall down. But there are some things that we can do. And what I say to you is keep on serving Jesus. Keep on representing Him well. And know that there are pitfalls and know that we slip and know that we fall. Represent Him well. Keep on proclaiming the good news. Keep on serving Him. Keep on being as being obedient, striving for perfection, knowing that you're not going to meet perfection until you see the Lord. And in God's timing, in God's timing, He may graft them from the outside to the inside. God, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is the greatest demolition team that you'll ever find when it comes to breaking down those walls. The Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the greatest demolition team when it comes to tearing down that wall, to taking that heart of stone and refashioning that, stone, that heart of stone to a heart of flesh that is living and thriving in Jesus. And so we don't look on the outside and say, Oh, you poor folks. Oh, you poor lost people. Oh, yeah, we ought to have a burden for them. But again, if it not be for God's grace, we would, be, we would be there as well. We might even see those people on the outside who, who like to stir the pot. But I got to tell you, there's people on the inside of the church that likes to stir the pot too. Look at the church as a bunch of people who are detached from reality or who are dysfunctional. I mean, it's not a secret, and I, I tell you this, that we are only one degree away from dysfunctionality, and some of us are already in it. If I was to go to myself 30 years ago, you know what I would say to myself? You know what I would say to myself? I would walk up to Larry Stevens, B.C., B.C., that's before Christ, and I would look at, him, I would look at that Larry Stevens, I would say, Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Listen, listen to the gospel. Because my life is saturated with it. Hear the gospel. Submit to Jesus. Repent. Serve Him and live for Him. Verse 14 says this. More than ever, believers were added to the church multitudes of both men and women because they were living out their faith. They were just doing what God had called them to do. They were being obedient. And, and God was showing up and working through the hands of the apostles and people were believing in Jesus as Messiah, believing in their Savior. They were coming to, to faith. The Lord was, uh, you talk about an earthquake. Sometimes people talk about earthquake in the physical and they talk about earthquake in terms of political earthquake but this is an earthquake in terms of God using his church to shake the foundation of the world and culture they were just living out their faith and so let's finish these verses and so they carried out the sick into the street and they laid them on cots and mats and that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. There was a, a multitude of them. That, again, is not saying that Peter's shadow healed them. So don't read that there. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing in the sick, those afflicted with unclean spirits, and, and they were all healed. They were all healed. 
Let me say this in the Word of Faith movement today. And you might not be familiar with the Word of Faith movement. Uh, the Word of Faith has, I'm not going to go over the doctrine, but they would say if you have enough faith on anything, if you speak it, it will come to pass. One of the mantras of the Word of Faith is that God's will is for everybody to be saved, uh, to be healed. God's will is that everybody would be healed from their physical ailments. And so their gospel becomes health, wealth, prosperity. You know, you're going to be healed of your cancer. You're going to be healed of your, your emphysema. You're going to be healed or for whatever it is. And this is this word of faith movement. Now, this, this scripture here says, and they were all healed. And that does not say that everybody will be healed. So one time in, in history of the church where the Lord was healing all those folks, and it might even just be exaggerated language. It is not God's will to heal everybody. And I say that to say this because some people in their suffering bring more glory to Jesus than they would in their healing. A few years ago, a man had rushed into the museum in Amsterdam and he ran up to Rembrandt's most, probably his most famous painting called The Night Watch. And how he got by security, I don't know, but he took out a knife and he got to this painting and he began to, to stab at it until, of course, security came and, and tackled him and, and took him out. Amazingly, it wasn't very long after that, there was another man who had broke into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer and began to pound on Michelangelo's sculpture. Two influential pieces of art. Two very influential pieces of culture and, and, and history who had been damaged. Did the curators of those museums look at that painting and that piece of marble and say, let's throw it away. No good to us anymore. We can't use it. Did they look at those disfigured works of arts and let's say, let's throw them away? Did they look at them and see no reason to to keep them around? No. They took meticulous care and, and precision and they made every effort to restore the treasures back to their somewhat original beauty. They took time and investment and they spared no expense in every effort that they, that they could to restore them. And I think about this episode. I just read this article last week. I think about that in terms of the Lord in His ultimate healing of you and I. His shaping, His molding of us in our day and time and in our walk with Him. And I would say to you that the Lord would spare and has spared no expense restoring our brokenness and our broken state to be in right relationship with Him. And what is that expense? That expense is His Son. Spared no expense. He sent His Son, His only begotten, only unique Son to the cross to die a horrible and cruel death. 
But there is hope and there always is hope. It's because of the resurrection, it's because of the work of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection, that He will make the wrong and make it right. He will restore and He will heal this world once and, and for all. And so, these verses are appointing to that time. It's not a normal thing for people to be healed of all of their ailments. Uh, in fact, if you were to go over to Vine at any time next week, it is hard for you to find a parking space. It is not a normal thing to see people healed, but it is a normal thing to see people healed from their sinful state through the work of Jesus. Now, I mentioned at the very beginning of the sermon one of the struggles for, for me as a pastor is to see people who have uh, who I've gotten to know and who have passed on and they're not hearing my words today because they are engrossed in in worship but we're here today and we are looking at the important fact that the Lord ultimately will heal and return this world to its rightful place and I think about all the people who have gone on to be with the Lord just in this past few weeks. And there are a number of different people that I can say I've, got, I've grown close with. And I don't want to try to mention everybody because if I leave somebody out, I don't want to, I don't want to, make, I don't want to upset anybody because I, I remember so many, so many people who've gone on to be the Lord. So I'll just reduce this to the last few weeks. I think of Miss Jean, Miss Jean Biggs. I think, of, I think of her and just her out, her outgoing attitude and just matter-of-fact-ish way that she had um, about her. Um, I think of, I think of Miss Duck who was giving and loving and, and, and devoted. Um, I think of, of Laura, Laura Norris who was just a, I mean, she was just resolute, just very strong-willed in I think of, of I think of Miss Betty Robertson, who recently, uh, who was again that matter of fact, tell you what she thought, kind of in Jesus' name, and so many people. I think of Miss Josephine. I think of Miss Shirley. I think of so many people that that I can that I can that I can name, and I don't want to try to catalog them them all. And even though that is a, a, one of a, a struggle for me, getting to know people, and then then having to uh, officiate over their funeral, but to know that one day. Uh, we'll all be together as a family of Jesus, in Jesus and, and worshiping Christ. And as the angels in the book of Isaiah says, as they proclaim, and we sang it this morning, holy, 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 and the language is holy, holy, or holiest. It's a crescendo, and it gets louder, and it gets louder, and then we will be worshiping Christ in likewise manner. And so I look for that day, and I... I yearn for that day. When are the sick healed? Well, the answer to that would be when a person comes to know Jesus as their Lord, they are forgiven of their sins. They aren't sick. They're dead. They're brought to life in Jesus. They are regenerate in Jesus' name. And then when we pass on from this life into the next, we are healed in the ultimate sense and wait to receive that glorified body that will forever ever stand 
in the presence of the glory of our Lord, able to worship Him forever and ever. That is when, that is when the sick are healed. Would you pray with me?